Howdy, you're listening to the Texas A&M RUF podcast. Hope you enjoyed the talk. Howdy. Howdy. Um, hey, y'all, seriously, thanks for being here. Like, right before spring break, I know, like, everyone's finishing up tests and papers and big things like that, so it really is a big deal that y'all came and y'all, like, took time to just stop and rest for a little bit and, like, just beautifully sing out to the Lord and to Jesus for all that he is and all that he's done for us. And um, I really hope that, that RUF is just, like, a blessing, that it can feel like a rest stop in the middle of like a crazy busy week and we're going to spend a lot more time talking about crazy busyness in a second um but i really hope you feel that and if at like any point in time it feels like what we're doing as a community is like exhausting and just another part of the treadmill like like i want you to come like talk to me and the interns about that because what this needs to be what the christian life needs to feel like is what it feels like uh to walk with jesus which is that he uh his burden is easy and his burden is light. And so we really want that to feel true um, here. So again, so glad you're here. Thanks for resting with us. Um, if, you're, if you're new, we're so glad you're here. Uh, we really, Again, we want this to be a community that's growing. Like we're not just a holy huddle here on the campus. We want to have our faces turned towards people in our organizations, people in our outfits, people in classes with us. We always want to be a people who are going, come. Like come see this beautiful Savior. Uh, that we're worshiping week in and week out. Okay, and so, uh, oh, a few little notes real quick. So, Jay is uh, visiting with us. Can you give everyone a wave? He is um, with RTS, Reformed Theological Seminary in Dallas, the Dallas campus. So, if you would ever be interested at all in the future about thinking about theological education um, or anything like that, Please talk to him. I think he's going to come to Fuego with us afterwards. So he's going to come uh, get the second best tacos in Brian College Station. Um, thank you. Thank you. Um, oh, okay. And then second thing is uh, in the little welcome desk up there, you'll see there's a bunch of copies of Gentle and Lowly. Another campus ministry uh, gave us these for free to give out for free. So y'all just take them. So here, who wants this one? Mercy. Yeah, see, that's what happens when you come to RUF. You get free stuff. Um, but I already gave you like a free one earlier this year. Okay, yeah, but just get, all right, this is just going to be a chain. I'll just give them to you, you give them to other people. It'll be awesome. Um, okay. Hey, so we are, let's just jump into it. Uh, this semester, we have been spending a lot of time thinking about this theme of discipleship, okay? Very. Bible-y, Christian-y word, but it just simply is getting at uh, being trained, growing with Jesus as our teacher, right? And as our guide, we've been using a particular section of the book of Psalms called the Songs of Ascent. So these were songs that the Old Testament people of Israel would sing together as they pilgrimaged up to Jerusalem from all over Israel, maybe even from outside of Israel, uh, up to the temple three times a year to worship, to sacrifice, to feast, uh, but ultimately to be with God, right? And as Christians, I think there's maybe no better metaphor for our discipleship just than that, that we are on a road, we are on a journey upwards to God, right? And so the point, um, so at this point, 
of our journey through the songbook, uh, we kind of have ourselves in a place of reflection, thinking about, hey, what, really, what does it look like and what does it not look like to build a life with God, to build a life with Jesus, right? What does it look like to build our lives, our careers, our family, right? Our station in life, what does it look like to build that truly in relation to God in an authentic way? And I think that is just all too prescient for college students, right? Is it not? Why did you ascend to the great halls of Texas A&M? To, to build your life, to prepare for a career. You know, if the Ring by Spring crowd has anything said about to build a family, even. Right? So let's do that. Let's step into what God has to say to us here at this moment right now as you are building your life. All right, so we're going to look at Psalm 127. It's up there. You can follow along your bulletin. Psalm 127, a song of ascents of Solomon. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. For he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward, like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Let's pray. Um, Lord, I do pray that you would speak to us um, here. This is your word. And it is food. It is true food. Um, and you're using it to feed our souls, to transform us, to make us like Jesus. Um, Lord, uh, would you just clear away uh, whatever impediments we've, we've got right now, um, whatever excuses, good, what feels like good excuses, what we kind of really know are, are bad excuses, but we use them anyway. Uh, will you just clear those things out that we might just actually hear you speaking to us and we could just receive it with humility and we could receive it like food that we know we actually need to eat. And it's in your name we ask this. Amen. Um, okay, so I've talked about this book a little bit. It's uh, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. If you have not read it, read it because it will change your life. Um, it really is good. And we're doing a book club every Thursday um, with this book. Um, and I guess it's, it's kind of too late to join. I don't know. We're like most way through the semester. But uh, if you want to pick this up, read it, you and me talk about it, we can do that. Um, but essentially, so the author here, John Ortberg, I, I just wanted to read like a little bit from just his, his introduction. Um, but he's, he's a pastor of, at one time he was a pastor of just a ginormous church up in the, it was like Portland or Seattle area, somewhere um, in, the, in the northeast. Um, but he kind of like bumped up into this um, just like aha, come to Jesus literally moment where he just came to the end of his busyness and felt conviction. Um, and so I just want to read to you. So he says, hey, I got into this thing, this whole being a pastor thing, to teach the way of Jesus. 
Uh, is this the way of Jesus? Speaking of Jesus, I have this terrifying thought lurking at the back of my mind, this nagging question of conscience that won't go away. And so again, he's just spent this big long paragraph talking about how crazy, insanely busy his life is, and he just feels emotionally dead. And he asked the question, who am I becoming? I just hit 30, level three. So I have a little time under my belt, enough to chart a trajectory to plot the character arc of my life a few decades down the road. I stop, breathe, envision myself at 40, 50, 60. It's not pretty. I see a man who is successful, but by all the wrong metrics, church size, book sales, speaking invites, social status, etc. And the new American dream, your own Wikipedia page. In spite of all my talk about Jesus, I see a man who is emotionally unhealthy and spiritually shallow. I'm still in my marriage, but it's a duty, not delight. My kids want nothing to do with the church. She was the mistress of choice for dad, an illicit lover I ran to, to hide from the pain of my wound. I'm basically who I am today, but older and worse, stressed out, on edge, quick to snap at the people I love most, unhappy, preaching a way of life that sounds better than it actually is, oh, and always in a hurry. Why am I in such a rush to become somebody I don't even like? Whew. And he says, it hits me like a freight train. In America, you can become a success as a pastor and a failure as a follower of Jesus. You can gain a church and you can lose your soul. Whew, that's like, that's sobering. That's real talk stuff, right? And look, I, I don't think it's too much of a stretch for me to say like, hey, if that is true for somebody who's a pastor, who's in ministry, who's responsible for like leading other people into spiritual health, how much bigger a danger might that same kind of lifestyle be for people in other lines of work? Right? To essentially let busyness turn them into someone they don't want to be. And so that's, really, that's the big question um, that I want to pose tonight that I think the, the psalmist is posing to us. How does someone build a good life and not a life of death? Right? So let's just tackle the psalm through just those, those two, the opposite sides of that coin. First, what does the psalm say is vanity? What does the psalm say is, is a worthless way to build your life? And then second on the flip side, what's the right way? What's the healthy way to build your life? So vanity first. The psalm starts off with three things that it says are, are vain. They're worthless, pointless things for one to do. Uh, so verse one, unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor or those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. And he says, it is vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. Um, okay, so just for some context here, the psalm is, is uh, explicitly being connected to King Solomon. And it could be that either he's the author of the song, or maybe this song is just an ode to Solomon because it's kind of this wisdomy sounding one. But again, if you're not familiar with, with who Solomon is, he was uh, king 
David, the great kind of golden king of Israel, is his son. Uh, and Solomon was actually tasked with building God's house, a.k.a. the temple in Jerusalem. The, the same temple that the pilgrims singing this song were going to go up to and worship at, right? Okay. And he presided over just big, massive building projects in Jerusalem. And here's the big thing. He was known as like the wisest man who ever lived. Because God actually gifted him with this like supernatural, surpassing wisdom. Um, if you've ever read the book of Psalms or the book Ecclesiastes, I think our, our cadet Bible study... Y'all going through? Y'all going through Ecclesiastes? Yeah. So our cadets are going through Ecclesiastes this semester. So both those books are just heavy hitting what's called wisdom literature, and they are uh, written, attributed to, compiled by Solomon. And this psalm sounds a lot like Ecclesiastes, right? Does it not? Does it not sound? Yeah. Um. Right, because in places like Ecclesiastes, it says things like this. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and striving after the wind. Right? All is vanity. Right? And so that a lot of the wisdom literature, it feels like just this dark, dark, nihilistic, nothing matters, let's just stare into the dark abyss kind of stuff. Um, what the psalm, I think, is trying to do, though, I, I think it's trying to just logically push a case forward for us. It's pushing this argument forward that, okay, you, building, building your house, right, or a watchman watching over the city. In other words, like, hey, your, your life, your house, in other words, like your legacy, your dynasty, your work. That if it is not connected to the everlasting, all-powerful Lord God of Israel, then it is going to go the way of the universe. That it's going to die. It's going to disintegrate. That it's just going to entropy uh, into nothingness. And at some point in time, it will be completely lost. Vanity. Poof. Nothing. Dust in the wind. I'm reading Cormac McCarthy's The Road right now. Uh, it's this post-apocalyptic book set in the South. Um, and you don't really know exactly what the apocalypse was. But you know, just like the sky is thick with ash and everything's just gray and dead. Uh, sun can't penetrate in. Just all the plants are dead. Everything's dead except for just a few marauding people scavenging off what little canned food is left behind in the world and, and even some being cannibals. Um, and the book, it just paints this bleak picture of the world, right? Humanity's not surviving the apocalypse as much as they are just expiring, right? And we're just kind of catching a glimpse of that story like as it's just on the way out into nothingness, right? That's just the feeling. It, it kind of lands on some hope, but, but that's kind of the feeling of it. I think that is the wisdom of this psalm, actually. That the universe is expiring. You are expiring, right? Your great-great-grandchildren won't know anything about you, and they frankly won't really care. 
Aren't you glad you came to RUF tonight? Yay! Like, that's happy times, right? We're just here to bum you all out. Um, but that's, that's the logic of the song. That's the logic of calling it the vanity of all these things. He's asking, is your life, is your world, and like what you are doing in it, is that really all there is? Because if that's true, then it's completely pointless. Everything you're doing doesn't matter because it's just going to go away to dust at some point in time. Right? And just to kind of take that one level further, as if you really needed that, the psalmist uses this imagery of eating the bread of anxious toil. <laughs> I just think that is just such a genius way of talking about the way our lives feel so often. Um, look, when you run into a friend on campus and you're like, hey, what's up, dude? How are you doing? Um, what are they going to say? You already know what they're going to say. They're going to say, yeah, I'm good, but I'm just really busy. busy. And that's true. That's not a lie. They are really busy and they're stressed out. But, you know, I think there's actually something more going on there. It's this. Because I think being able to be like, I'm really busy. It's not just a description of kind of how you feel or what's going on. I think it actually is a badge of honor that we wear. It's a badge of pride. It's a badge of worthiness. To be able, you want to be able to look at people and say, like, look how insanely busy I am. To essentially say, look how important and smart and accomplished and all the things I have going on that make me important. You're actually using your busyness as a thing that is, a, let's use a Bible term, you're using busyness as a way to justify, to justify yourself. But here's the thing. It's also killing you, right? It's making you miserable. It's stealing the joy from your life. But you're just feasting on your anxiety like bread, right? Feasting on our anxious toil like it's food, and it really is we're just like monsters eating toxic sludge that's just turning us into bigger monsters. Do you know why? Right? Do you know why you are cramming yourself full of a, life, of a lifestyle of anxiousness? Um, do you know why just kind of like work, 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 work? Do you, know, do you know why it makes you anxious? It's not because you're afraid that you're going to fail or that you're not going to accomplish things. That's a symptom, but that's not why. Do you know why your work makes you anxious? It's because on your inside, what is inscribed on your soul by nature of being made in the image of God, even if you don't know it, on your insides, your soul knows that your accomplishments will not, cannot save you. Right? Your soul knows that like all this accomplishing and achieving at the end of the day is not going to amount to anything other than a pile of ash. Right? You know why you're scored. Your extracurricular load is making you anxious because you want it to save you or you want the job or you want the money or you want the prestige that it's going to give you. You want that to be your savior. And on your insides, you know that it won't. And it's putting you into an existential, terrifying crisis. So if that's not how we build our life, how do we build our life? What would actually be a help? What would be not feasting on anxious toil? 
All right, so verse 2. Uh, it said, It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. And then he juxtaposes the, the vain, unhealthy person and their life. He juxtaposes with, okay, this is what the Lord's beloved looks like. This is what the Lord's beloved gets. For he gives to his beloved sleep. He gives his beloved sleep. Do you know that maybe one of the first steps to building a, a healthy life that actually matters and brings glory to God is that you just need to go to bed. You need to go to sleep. That going to sleep is really, really hard for college students. Why is it hard? Because there's always more studying to do. There's always more fun to be had. There's always more people hanging out, like more video games to play, more Netflix to watch. Like there's, there's all kinds of reasons that are going to keep you from actually just turning off the lights, pulling your covers up, closing your eyes, and just going to bed at a good, healthy hour. What if I told you that maybe one of the most radically obedient things you could do in college is just go to bed at a decent hour, right? According to health experts, people need, you need seven to nine hours of just good, straight sleep at night. Why, why is that obedient? That, that sounds kind of silly, William. Why are you saying that? I think it's obedience because it is actually acknowledging that you are a mortal human being with finite limitations and that you are not God who neither slumbers nor sleeps, right? You're building your life in a healthy way is centered on that reality that you are not God and that you cannot manufacture salvation for yourself and that God and God alone is going to give you the salvation and the eternal life that actually transcends this fallen, decaying universe. And look, so like, why, why, why this last part of the psalm about children being a heritage from the Lord and loading up a quiverful? Like, what? That it feels a little weird and awkward and out of place. What's the connection? Think about it like this: God is saying, "Hey, what if we didn't prioritize achievement and money and productivity?" And instead, prioritize something like, hey, just like slow, steady life of building a family, of you know, loving other people, investing in relationships with real people, like maybe not people on a screen, but like real people actually in front of you, like across from a lunch table or something. Um, let me just kind of like illustrate something like this. Okay, the... The man, like the man or the woman who's just on grind in college. They're in all the honor societies. They're getting the internships with the top accounting firm, engineering firm, gets into that elite grad school. They, and they get into the career and the life um, that they want, but it, and it's just work. They're bringing home the bacon, right? Hey, and they might actually really be bringing home the bacon, making uh, money hand over fist. And I think that person could just justify it by like, hey, look, this is, this is for my future. This is for my family. This is for my kids. I'm giving them the life they deserve in the lake house, in the house up in Breckenridge. But you know what that family could look like? The spouse of that person that's going, man, I wish that my spouse would just like maybe put email down for like an hour, spend like an hour with me uninterrupted. 
right? That they might get to live in a giant ranch ranch slash mansion up in the hill country. That spouse is just crushingly alone in it because they can't pry their spouse away from work. Um, right? And maybe the kids, the only thing they know what to do with this awesome life and awesome lake house they've been handed is like all they know how to do is throw a ranger in it and start taking concerted steps into alcohol abuse probably because they're just sad they're trying to numb their sadness they're like I just kind of wish my dad would hang out with me and they feel alone right it can be so easy in our American dream world for people to just like I'm just going to throw accomplishments and money and stuff and all this stuff at people and my family. When you know people really wanted to end today, just wanted a relationship with them. Right? What if instead our priority was one that embraced, hey, the Lord is going to provide what the Lord provides. And even if that's not as much as them over there, okay, I've got I've got food, I've got clothes. And I can actually say that living a simple life of just working and resting within God's healthy designs for me, that's like that's just plenty of reward enough. And I can actually embrace having margins in my life. I'm not just packing everything out like all the way to the rafters. Like there's actually space and time for intentionality and presence with people. You know what the psalm says? Psalm says there's never shame in people that do that. You know what it's actually going to feel like? It's actually going to feel like a full, vibrant life. Um, look, and when I read that passage, maybe this is true for some of you too. When I read that the Lord gives his beloved sleep, you know what passage from the New Testament just jumps right out at me? Is, um, is the scene when Jesus and his disciples are crossing the Sea of Galilee in a boat. And they're crossing the sea, and then just all of a sudden this crazy violent storm kicks up and the disciples are all freaking out they're panicking they are anxious okay and what is Jesus he's asleep he's sleeping he does it he wakes up you know and just in his divine nature he, he's God and that power he silences the storm in an instant but you know what Jesus is showing us with his life there is he's showing us how to live life he's showing us how to build our life He's showing us the right way to be a person. Which is to be somebody who rests. Someone who's content. To be someone who knows our inability to save ourselves. And to trust in God. Especially when just the chaos and the decay and the disintegration of the world is just swirling around us. And when we build our life not according to the rhythms and patterns of the world but on Jesus' tempo and cadence. We actually enter into his rest and peace. Because look, Jesus not only slept, he slept, slept. The Bible oftentimes talks about death as like the, the same going to sleep or the sleep of death. Jesus slept the sleep of death for us. And that was the most ultimate trust that God is going to provide. And the thing that he's going to provide at the other end of Jesus' sleep is resurrection, is glory, is eternal life. 
Right? If you're sitting here tonight and you're going, hey, look, I, I hear you. I really do hear you. I like what you're saying. I don't want to feast on my anxious toil, but I really don't know how else I can pass my classes and not live like that. Maybe you need to fail classes. Maybe you need to fail your classes. In the big scheme of this universe, in the big scheme of God's smiles and his love for you and his provision of heaven itself for you, maybe it's okay for you to fail classes. Have you ever thought about that? Um, maybe you need to go outside and take a walk. Right? Maybe you need to put in a good hard day work, but like, but you also know how to schedule out your time to like know when to put the books down, when to pick up the phone, call your friends, go on a walk, hang out. Make time for people. Make time for people that you know, hey, this person actually needs my friendship. And I'm going to prioritize that. Right? Simple relationship time. Here's how you have the power to do that. Right? Because the thing, what I don't want to do here is say, like, like, your works can't save you. You just need to rest in Jesus. But now we're just kind of replacing it with this, like, hey, now the thing I'm using to save myself is, like, I schedule rest really well into my life. And now that's become this, like, backwards way of, you know, like, we're not trying to do that. I'm trying to say, like, the way we actually have power to just naturally, in a truly restful way, step into this is by actually being able to experience the reality of Jesus. To actually see that who he is and his rhythms and his patterns and his priorities are actually beautiful. That they're life-giving. And that you just want to be with him. Right? And that busyness and anxiety are really crappy badges of honor to wear. And that anxiety is just a life of disintegration. And that you want to draw towards something that is bigger, more beautiful, more powerful, more life-giving, and more eternal. Right, from someone who is just giving love and dignity, not based off works, but for free, for grace. And let's pray for that. Lord Jesus, um, yeah, I mean, even as we've just sat here, one thing that I really hope I try to acknowledge is that, like, I, we aren't going to build a life um, that is healthy and vibrant and life-giving and honoring to you. Like, we're not going to do that in our own power. Like, that's the whole thing. So we can't just, like, wrestle um, our schedules into health. We can't just personally wrestle our hearts into loving healthy things and hating toxic things. But we know that, like, we have to have your Holy Spirit invade our insides and convince us that things are beautiful that we otherwise wouldn't think are beautiful in just our own natural state. So Lord Jesus, would you help us to see that the, like you sleeping on the boat and just the swirl of chaos and disintegration that was that sea. To see ourselves in that and to actually see like your power 
and your beauty. There's actually something better being promised in that for us than just frantically tearing our hair out screaming um, in, in anxiousness over the situation. Lord, help us to be people that rest in your rest. And it's your name we ask this. Amen. We hope that you enjoyed this episode of the Texas A&M RUF podcast. If y'all are interested in joining us for a future worship night, we would absolutely love to see y'all at All Face Chapel uh, on the north side of campus across from Sabisa at 8 p.m. on Wednesdays. Go ahead and follow at AggieRUF on Instagram for updates about any other events that we might be putting on throughout the semester. Uh, Thank y'all so much for listening, and we hope to see y'all around sometime.